Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson, and this week, starting a new month in February, uh, it is going to be the third edition of Our Weird Fun Bag. Just a reminder, uh, it's just some just random stories that I couldn't really put in a, a larger themed episode, but God, these are fun stories, and we are going to get into them today. We are talking about uh, Lobster Boy, the Rainbow Man, and the indestructible Michael Malloy. Michael Malloy was a former firefighter who was living in New York, but for whatever reason, by 1933, uh, he was homeless and just a, a gigantic alcoholic. Now, unlike most stories on this podcast that involve alcoholics, uh, there's no serial killing involved. He wasn't abusive. He wasn't this degenerate, terrible person, right? He was just a homeless guy and he drank all the time. Um, and five of his friends, seeing just the sad state that he was in, um, decided that it would be a great idea to get Malloy to drink himself to death so that they could collect uh, a gigantic life insurance payout that they had bought for him rather than help him sober up. I don't I, I, I don't know. I guess he was like they just figured like he was that far gone that it wasn't even worth trying to help him. It's just, let's go ahead and finish the job. So they worked with this corrupt insurance salesman to put this policy in place that would pay out $3,500 upon Malloy's death. Um, which I mean, look, $3,500, not a lot of money. I mean, in 1933, it was probably a lot of money, especially this is because around the depression. So I mean, people needed everything they could get. Uh, Tony Marino, one of the conspirators, gave Malloy an all-you-can-drink pass at his speakeasy, assuming that Malloy would basically just act like a typical homeless person and abuse the privilege. And exactly that's exactly what he did. Um, Malloy drank all day, every day. And the crazy part was is just like he seemed completely unfazed by it. Like he never... Like he would never like black out. He would never get alcohol poisoning. He would just sit in the speakeasy all day and just drink and, and constantly drink. Um, Marino, seeing that he was really starting to lose money on this, he started to spike Malloy's drink with antifreeze, which if you didn't know, you you shouldn't drink antifreeze. I mean, you can drink antifreeze, but like you should expect to get very sick and die, Right. Malloy, however, he's drinking his drinks laced with antifreeze. Doesn't bother him at all. Um, Malloy also used, or uh, sorry, M Marino also used turpentine, horse lotion, and rat poison. Rat poison, like arsenic, straight arsenic. Like how many serial killers have we talked about on this show who poisoned, it was mostly women, who poisoned their husbands with arsenic with rat poison and got away with it for a long time. Marino is lacing this dude's drinks with all of that stuff and he never gets sick. Just keeps throwing them back, man. Just like, Hey, 
whatever you're doing to these drinks, man, it's really good. Keep them coming. Real tasty. Love this life. Love your good friend. Um, the group then uh, began offering Malloy oysters that they had soaked in methanol. Still nothing. Um, they gave him a sandwich made of spoiled sardines, more rat poison, and nails. They put nails in his sandwich. Malloy ate it, thought it was the best sandwich he'd ever had, and asked for them to make him another one. I'm not making any of this up. This is well documented. Um, seeing as seeing as though they could not kill him by like poisoning him, the group just decided to freeze him to death. Um, so one night, uh, Malloy finally drank himself into unconsciousness, and so the group carried him over to a park, packed him in a snowbank, and then poured five gallons of water on his exposed chest. And then that night, the temperature dropped to negative 14 degrees. And at that point, like, you got to feel confident that you did the job, right? Like, this dude is passed out from drinking, all right? Um, they have tossed him. They've buried him in a snowbank. They've ripped his clothes open. They've poured five gallons of water on his chest. It is 14 degrees below zero. Negative 14. That's real cold, all right? I've been outside when it was like one degree and it was very cold. I got like freezer burns on my sides. It was very cold. Negative 14 can't even imagine. And he's out there exposed to the elements. Got to believe that this is going to work, right? It's going to freeze to death. Um, the next day, Malloy walked right into Marino speakeasy for his next round of free unlimited drinks. Dude, I don't know how he survived that. Um, Hershey Green, who was another one of the conspirators, finally decided that Marino wasn't doing enough and just ran Malloy over in his taxi at 45 miles an hour, which is impressive in New York City to go that fast. Like, it just seems like every street is just crawling at like 5 or 10 miles an hour. Hershey Green gets up to 45 and runs Malloy over, like hits him, breaks several of his bones, sends him to the hospital. And at this point, though, the group thinks that that did the job. Um, they assume that he's going to die in the hospital and they just wait for the insurance check to clear and, and come in the mail. Instead, three weeks later, Malloy has made a full recovery and he shows back up at the speakeasy. At this point, like the group is beyond frustrated. Like they cannot kill this guy and they have no idea what they need to do. So Malloy drinks himself into unconsciousness again. And this time they take him over to one of the men's rooms. They stuffed a gas hose into his mouth and turned it on. And at that point that killed him, right? Like, Apparently, this guy can, like, ingest all kinds of rat poison and uh, antifreeze and turpentine and all of that. But you let him breathe in enough gas, and that does finally kill him. Um, a doctor comes in, lists the cause of death as lobar pneumonia, uh, and then the men quickly buried Malloy in a small grave. Now, people who were frequenting this speakeasy 
they had they had watched all of this happen, right? They didn't they didn't see the, them stuff the gas into into Malloy's face, but like they knew about Malloy's unlimited drink ticket, right? And they were just amazed at how much this dude could drink, how much this dude could go through and not die. And so when police started to investigate the death, uh, people people were telling them. People told him everything that was happened. And so police ordered uh, Malloy's body to be exhumed and found all of the poison, like all of the poison still in his system. And so the five men were arrested and put on trial. Uh, Hershey Green, who had run over Malloy, uh, was sent to prison. The four other men were actually sentenced to death and given the electric chair. And none of them ever saw the insurance money. So um, that's that's just a fun story. Uh, our next story here uh, is of Grady Styles, who was born on June 26, 1937 to a family of lobsters. Um, kind not, I mean, not really, but like he was the fourth generation of styles to be born with a condition called ectrodactyli, um, which was a physical deformity that caused his fingers and toes to be fused, uh, fused together into something that resembled lobster claws. And like, here's the thing. Like, I don't, I don't understand why he is the fourth generation to have this condition. Like after the first, after like the original lobster people had their baby lobsters, like you'd think they would just cut their losses and like stop the family tree right there. But no, like if history has taught us anything, it's that the people who do the most breeding are the people who probably should not be breeding in the first place. Right? Like, what are you doing? And, and, and now you have this family full of lobster people, you know, with their weird, like, uh, Star Trek, whatever that uh, live long and prosper hand signal is. Like, they're doing that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the thing is called. But, like, you know, they're walking around, you know, Star Trekking it for everybody. Um, so... Styles himself, Grady Styles, grew up to be an abusive alcoholic with a very short temper. Um, and because he was unable to walk because of his lobster feet, um, he was confined to a wheelchair, which in turn allowed him to build some really impressive upper body strength. And like, here's the thing, like if you need kind of a visual for this, think Larry the Lobster from SpongeBob, like Larry the Lobster, he's got his lobster hands, but he's, like, buff. He's got a buff chest. Tiny legs, but a buff chest. That's what he. That's what this guy really looked like. Um, and since Styles was an alcoholic, like, his skin was already pretty rosy. Because if you see an alcoholic, like, they got, like, kind of shiny red skin. And so that probably made him look even more like an actual lobster. Um, in 1978... When he was 41 years old, uh, Styles shot and killed his daughter's fiance the night before the wedding. Now, um, few details about this murder are ever found in any search, but I imagine that uh, his daughter's fiance was either uh, originally from Maine. That's a lobster fishing joke. Or his fiance was a boiling pot of water. I don't know. Uh, that was bad. That was real bad. You can tr you can turn the show off now. It's fine. Um, also, here's the thing. Here's what's impressive to me about this. I did not 
realize that lobster hands were capable of firing guns. And now maybe, you know, I'm thinking, you know, he's got his two pinchers. Maybe he's still got opposable thumbs. Maybe he's still got his working thumbs. I can't remember. So like, I guess if you have, if you have the thumb, like all you really need is two fingers, but like a thumb, one of the fingers needs to be a thumb in order to shoot a gun. So I don't know, maybe he could pull it off, but, um, when Styles was brought to trial for this, he unabashedly confessed to kill to the murder and he was convicted of third degree murder. However, um, apparently state prisons were not equipped to house lobster people. And so Styles was just sentenced uh, to only 15 years of probation. Uh, by 1992, Styles' wife, Mary Teresa Styles, had finally had enough of all of his abuse and hired Chris, Chris Wyant. Uh, a neighbor and or sideshow performer and or gang member, kind of depending on which account you read. Um, she hired this guy to kill Grady for $1,500. And I think at this point, like I should, I should mention that like he, Grady was known as lobster boy. Like he was this traveling uh, performer or sideshow attraction in a circus. Obviously, what else are you going to do? What, how, what job could you possibly have when your hands and feet look like lobster claws? You of course join the circus, right? And so that's what he does for a living. Uh, but his wife tired of the abuse hires Chris Wyatt to kill lobster boy for $1,500. And on November 29th, 1992, Wyatt entered the styles home and shot lobster boy three times in the head. Um, Wyatt was immediately arrested, probably because as a gang member or sideshow performer slash carny, he's pretty, pretty easy to identify um, and was convicted of second degree murder. He was sentenced to 27 years in prison while Mary Teresa was given 12 years for uh, the conspiracy to commit murder. So breezing right along here, uh, our final story. Here is of Roland Stewart, who was born in Spokane, Washington in 1945. Uh, although his father died from alcoholism when Roland was 10, had a pretty normal childhood other than that. Um, at age 23, Roland's mother actually died in a fire, and then his sister was strangled to death by her boyfriend. So, I don't know, maybe not a relatively normal childhood. Um, so, with practically zero family left, Roland. Uh, basically survived on his inheritance where he worked as a drag racer, a motorcycle shop owner. Uh, he also farmed marijuana that obviously he sold illegally, but eventually he got bored with all of that and he decided to move to Hollywood to become an actor. Uh, he actually pretty quickly landed a spot in a Budweiser commercial, but other than that, like he really didn't have much success getting gigs. Um, he knew that he needed to draw attention to himself somehow. So what he decided to do was he figured he could attend sporting events and just like dress in a way that would make him stand out. Dude didn't even like sports other than like racing, obviously, but like did not care about sports. Otherwise, um, he started by wearing a, a rainbow colored Afro wig and he actually became a, a sensation during the 1977 NBA finals, when he earned his rainbow man nickname, 
Um, like he just kept appearing on TV. Uh, the commentators and the fans were just amused, I guess. And Rainbow Man was born. Um, he then attended the the 1979 Super Bowl, and and at that point he had a realization. He realized like if the cameras were on him, he could use his few seconds of fame um, to spread the word of God, which is something that no one in any part of his life at this point realized was important to him. He had no, had never really displayed any kind of religious attitude or preference to anything. However, Rollin was like, you know, this is what he was going to do. So he got himself a white t-shirt, um, had Jesus saves printed on the front, had the word redeem printed on the back. And then he began carrying around a sign reading John three sixteen. So if you've ever been to a sporting event and you've seen someone holding up a John three sixteen sign, this is where it started with this guy named Rollin Stewart. Now, that's fun. That's a fun little historical connection. But if you've picked up on the pattern of how stories in this podcast go, you know there's going to be an asterisk beside it because things are not going to end well. Um, Rollin, he becomes kind of this minor uh, kind of folk hero. And so he begins traveling all of the all over the world, attending sporting events. Uh, he even attended Princess Diana's wedding. Um, all sorts of church groups began happily sponsoring him and and paying him to go all over the world and attend these events. Um, it got to the point where like people just expected him to be at every major sporting event, and and he was. But by the late 1980s, after almost a decade of doing this, like he got tired of this character like it was it 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 had kind of lost its meaning like it wasn't about the message it was just about him being there like oh look it's the crazy guy with the john threes you know, anyway um so following an accident that totaled his car rollins fourth wife filed for divorce after she claimed that he had tried to choke her during a mets game because she wasn't standing in the right spot with her own john 316 sign that's so there's so much to unpack there, right? Like they're at a New York Mets game, which look, I don't know, maybe it's different, but I just I feel like Mets fans are the trashier of the New York baseball fans, right? Like I still hate the Yankees, but like I don't know. There's something about uh Yankees fans that at least feel like they're blue collar, they're hard workers, they're annoying, but whatever. Mets fans, I feel like are just trash. And maybe I'm wrong, but that's I that's just my observance and and seeing it. Anyway, so there's that element of it. And then now he's you know, it's the late 80s. He's got this whole elaborate routine set up. He's getting his wife involved and then when she's not in the right place with her John 316 sign so the cameras don't catch her, she, you know, he's just apoplectic. What a word, right? And chokes her out <laughs> because she wasn't spreading the word of God properly. The irony. Um, so 
Rollin, of course, he denied these allegations, but things kept getting worse. He now began to believe that the end of the world was coming, and he started to get more vocal at the events he attended. It wasn't just holding up John 316 sign anymore. Now it's, hey guys, the world's going to end, and you better... You better get right with God. I don't know why that's the voice I think he sounds like, but it seems fine. Um, he even set off an air horn at the 1990 Masters Tournament just as Jack Nicklaus was about to swing, which is like the worst thing you can do at a golf tournament. Like, look, I play a lot of golf, and some golf people are so anal about needing perfect silence to swing a golf club and hit a ball like golf is hard I'll give you that but like I don't know maybe I I mean I am wired differently like I don't care if people are talking in my backswing like if I have dead silence that means I can hear everything going on in my head and I'm not going to hit the ball well so like if I've got music in the background or if someone's talking in the background then that's fine I can I can focus on that and then I can still shank it 50 yards into the woods because that's what I would do anyway. Um, anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, the next year, 1991 police in Santa Ana, California issued a warrant for Rollins arrest after he detonated electronic stink bombs at three different events. Uh, because according to him, God thinks this stinks, which is that's, that's fun. That's a real fun thing. You know, like some, (laughs) like someone could just like show up, at, uh, you know, God, the Panthers are terrible. You just show up at a Panthers game detonating a stink bomb. He's like, God thinks this team stinks. That's fun. That's pretty clever. Um, on September 22nd, though, Rollin kidnapped a maid at the Hyatt Hotel near Los Angeles International Airport. Um, the maid actually ended up locking herself in the bathroom. And then by the time police arrived, Rollin was actually hammering nails into the door, rambling about how the rapture was going to happen in six days. And then whenever police got too close to the actual hotel room, Rollin would toss a stink bomb into the hallway. Um, he demanded that the SWAT team that had converged on the scene, uh, bring him a news crew so that he could deliver a message about the end of the world. Um, police, however, were more concerned, uh, that Rollin was going to shoot, planes landing at the nearby airport with his 45 revolver because I mean that's also because that's what Rollins said he was going to do if he did not get his news crew um eight hours into this standoff the SWAT team broke down the door and apprehended Rollin he was given uh three consecutive life sentences not like he didn't kill anybody but he basically just for being crazy go a couple of three more just really odd stories from history i think like these episodes are going to be some of my favorites because there's just going to be just it's just random off the wall out of nowhere stuff that you didn't realize you needed in your life so let's recap and see what we learned today What did we learn? Number one, Michael Malloy was such a huge alcoholic that 
I guess, I, I don't know, maybe alcohol, all the alcohol in his system, like, purified all of the poison that he was being uh, given? I don't know. But, like, dude drank antifreeze and turpentine and ingested rat poison and survived all of it, got hit by a car at 45 miles an hour and survived it. And then eventually died because his friends, quote unquote friends, were trying to get a $3,500 insurance payout that they never got because they were charged with murder. Um, Number two, Grady Stiles was the lobster boy. He was a circus attraction and very angry. He was an angry lobster and he killed, uh, did he? Yeah, he killed his daughter's fiance, abused his wife, who then hired a hitman to kill him because there's drama in the circus. And then number three, um, you've probably seen uh, people holding up John 316 signs at sporting events. And that came from Rollins Stewart, who then lost his mind and went away forever. Next week on Our Weird World, we got a big story, and that is the story of Jim Jones and the People's Temple. Now, you probably know how it ends. It's the story where everyone drinks the spiked Kool-Aid, and there's a mass suicide in South America. Hundreds of people died at this cult. But man, the story and everything that led up to that moment is just as crazy. And we are going to look at it next week. And I mean, that it's going to be a fun time. So um, thank you all for listening. Keep telling all of your friends and keep it weird. Oh, man, I'm going to have a hard time not actually singing this one. Um, When dreaming, I'm guided to another world time and time again. At sunrise, I fight to stay asleep because I don't want to leave the comfort of this place because there's a hunger, a longing to escape from the life I live when I'm awake. So let's go there. Let's make our escape. Come on. Let's go there. Let's ask, can we stay? Although I would like our world to change, it helps me to appreciate those nights and those dreams. But my friend, I'd sacrifice all those nights if I could make the earth and my dreams the same. The only difference is to let love replace all our hate. So let's go there. Let's make our escape. Come on. Let's go there. Let's ask if we stay here. Can you take me higher? To a place where blind men see. (laughs) Can you take me higher? To a place with golden streets.